Well, names identify, right? That's why we have names, uh, so that we can identify uh, one uh, from another. I'll tell you a quick funny story about names. This was several years ago. We were in staff meeting, and uh, Frank told us that he had just had a new lamb born, so a new baby lamb. And so Sarah, at that time, was on staff with us. Um, she's now in East Tennessee working with the church plant. But Sarah went, oh, And she said, what's his name? And Frank said, number nine. <laughs> we thought that was funny. Names, names identify, don't they? they that's why we want to know what some, some things or someone's name is. Uh, if someone's talking to you about Wade, you might ask a clarifying question, Wade Humphreys. If you say Wade Humphreys, then you know who that person is talking about, if they're indeed talking about Wade Humphreys. Names help us to identify. Well, the names of God help us to go beyond a generic reference to God. Now, you've probably noticed in our, in our modern day world that people throw the name, the, the, the title God around a lot, right? People talk about God in, in, in all sorts of ways, all, all different manners. You know, you'll have someone get up on a, a music award show, and their music is filled with vile lyrics, ungodly, immoral stuff, and they win an award, and they get up there and say, I want to thank God. Who are they talking about? I guarantee you who they're talking about is not the God of the Bible. It's the God they've created in their own image. What happens is the names of God help us to move beyond the generic reference to God, which is so prevalent in our society, and helps us to understand who God is, who the God of the Bible presents Him to be. It helps us to get to the specifics of the character and the nature of God. So the names of God are very important, very important that we study them. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give you a little introductory, uh, some introductory stuff, and then we're going to get into the first set of the names of God. And here's the introductory question that I want us to address. Why should we study the names of God? Why study the names of God? Why, why is this a big deal? Well, look there in your notes. Number one, God has revealed His names for a reason. God has revealed His names for a reason. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. And we'll be in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 a lot in the coming weeks. Just a very quick context. The nation of Israel was living under Egyptian bondage and slavery, and so God was going to call Moses, who was a shepherd, raised as an Egyptian but born a Hebrew. He was going to send Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. And to get Moses' attention, ooh, like the Super Bowl. All right. Are we still up? Can y'all hear me? The mic's still on. Everybody sit tight just for a second. Teddy, will you see if that happened in the preschool and children's area? Everybody just sit tight for a second. We'll... See what the deal is. Mm -hmm. 
All right, they're working on it. Y'all still see the screen, can't you? All right. So God has revealed... Well, I can't see my Bible. I got a lot of it memorized. We'll give, hold on a second. Well, I got it on my iPad. I can do it. I can do it on my iPad. I got it. Hold on one second. Let me get oriented here. No. We're checking on the children, folks. They're, they're going to be fine. We're lights are on in the preschool. Okay, lights are on in the children's area, preschool area. Him just a second, see if they can figure out what happened. <laughs> the kitchen folks are in the dark. These lights will take a minute to come back on, the overhead lights, but they'll come back on here in a second. So, All right, was it blown breaker? Is that what it was? Don't know well. Okay, all right. Everybody okay? Everybody good? Okay. <laughs> we didn't even have a Beyonce halftime show in our li- <laughs> and our lights went out. All right, okay. All right. So where in the world was I? All right, number one, number one. God has revealed his names for a reason. So, the Lord called Moses to go and uh, say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And uh, to get his attention, he appeared to him with a burning bush. Remember that story? Very well-known story. And he tells Moses, says, Moses, tell Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Moses says, when I go, I'm to nobody. Who, who am I going to tell them sent me? Who are you? Who, who's sending me to Egypt? And so God gives him an answer. Look what it says in Exodus 3. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God there reveals his name to Moses. I am that I am. And we'll talk a lot about the name of the coming days. That name is sometimes translated Yahweh or Jehovah. And it's a key name of God. It's the personal covenant name of God. And we'll talk again a lot about that. But I want you to see that God reveals his name, and not just his name, but his name all throughout the pages of Scripture. And if God deemed it important to reveal those things, there must be something to it. I mean, he didn't just reveal his name for no reason, or his names, or his titles for no reason. I like this quote from Ken Hemphill. He writes, God in his infinite mercy has revealed himself on the stage of human history that we might come to know him in a personal relationship 
as God reveals himself, he discloses, discloses his character nature through the expression of his names. So he's given us his names as an expression of his character. My men, did we, did we flip back on the lights, in these upper, upper lights? Did we flip them off and on? Okay, have we flipped, flipped them off though? Okay. Oh, they're back on. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so God has revealed his names for a reason. All right? So if he reveals them, it's important. If it's in the Bible, we ought to know it. Okay? Number two, we are to honor his name. We're to honor his name. Exodus 20, verse 7. The Lord says, one of the Ten Commandments, I just read it in my personal Bible reading recently. He said, do not take the Lord's name in vain. All right, so there's something special about his name. The implication is his name is to be honored. His name is to be reverenced. Don't take it in vain. Uh, and turn over to Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2. Let me show you an interesting passage about his name. Psalm 138, verse 2, the last part of that verse, he says, well, let's read the whole thing. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Everybody see that? For your loving kindness and your truth, for you you have magnified your word according to all your name. That's one translation. Another translation says, you have magnified above everything your word and your name. So the implication there is that God's name is to be magnified. God's name is to be honored. God has elevated his name to a place of prominence and preeminence. We're to honor his name. So if we're to honor his name or his names, as it were, we need to know what they are, right? I mean, how can you honor that which you do not know? So we need to know what those names are if we're going to honor them appropriately. So that's one of the reasons we need to study the names of God. Number three, knowing his names fuels our praise and helps our prayer life. This is really practical, really important. Knowing his names fuels our praise and helps our prayer life. Look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm of David. Here come the lights. Good. Psalm 8. The Psalm of David, he writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is what? Your name in all the earth. So notice that knowing God's name uh, helps David to praise God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Turn over to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Another Psalm of David. By the way, just a quick preview. Sunday morning, we're going to talk a lot about David, a man after God's own heart. I want you to be here Sunday for that, 1 Samuel 16. We're getting to the, the really exciting part of 1 Samuel, so you want to be here the next few weeks. But in Psalm 16, verse 1, David writes, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. So he's praising and let me tell you what's interesting about this. You don't, you don't catch it necessarily in the English translations. In those two verses, he uses three names of God. Look, look at it. Preserve me, O God. That, that word for God is the word El. We'll talk about that word tonight. For I take refuge in you. I said to 
the Lord. Now notice it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's another name of God. It's the name Yahweh, the divine name of God that he reveals to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Then he says, you are my Lord. Notice there it's capital L, then lowercase O-R-D. That's the Hebrew word Adonai, uh, more of a generic name for Lord. So in two verses, as David sings this praise song, he uses three names of God. Isn't that neat? I mean, just in two verses, just to help him ex- to help him to exalt God, help him to praise God, help him to magnify God. He's using his names to that end. And then look in Psalm forty-eight, verse ten. I'm sorry, Isaiah forty-eight, verse no, Psalm forty-eight, verse ten. I'm sorry, Psalm forty-eight, verse ten. Psalm of the sons of Korah, they were the worship leaders in Israel. And there in verse 10, Psalm 48, verse 10, As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. We're praising you in accordance with the greatness of your name. So so God's name fuels our prayer life. Then look over in Psalm 75. Psalm 75. Psalm 75, verse 1, Song of Asaph. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Men declare your wondrous work. So I think you see that this connection with the name and the names of God helps worship people to worship God. Helps, helps worship songwriters to worship God. And it helps us in our own personal worship of God to praise Him according to His name. And it helps our prayer life. Have you ever been kind of stuck in your prayer life and you don't know what to say to God? Like, you know you need to praise Him, but you run out of things to say. It's like, God, I want to thank you for saving me and for saving me. And I, I appreciate you saving me. And, and you just kind of kind of hit a, a wall of how you talk to God and what you say to God and how you praise God. And, and it, it, you find it hard to praise God for more than 30 seconds. Well, these names of God we're going to study are rich. And they're going to give you all sorts of material to help you to praise God and to pray in your prayer life according to His names and asking for things according to His names. For example, there, there may be a need that you have in your life and you need some, some provision. You may talk to God as, as uh, Jehovah Rapha, the, God, or the, Lord our God, um, the Lord our God provides. Um, and so uh, just knowing those different names of God will help you to praise God. And so we want you to be aware of that. Number four, we find refuge and strength in His name. We find refuge and strength in his name. Turn over to Proverbs. You're in Psalms right now. Let's just turn to the next book. Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. In other words... God's name represents who He is. So when you run to His name, you're running to God. And when you run to God, He's a strong tower. He's a shelter in the storm. He's a refuge from the, 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 the evil of the world, the evil of Satan, the, the sin we find in our own lives. He's a refuge from that, a Savior, a Deliverer, a Redeemer. So we find refuge and strength in His name. So we need to know His name so we can run to Him and know who He is according to His name. So that's just kind of a quick list of 
why it's important to study the names of God in some ways. This study is going to equip you practically in your walk with God. So let's just begin tonight with the names of God that begin with L, E-L. The names of God that begin with L. And there are more than this, but I've, I've chosen the, most, the more prominent ones. All right? The names of God that begin with L. The first is just the term L, E-L. When you hear that name, El, it refers to the God of strength and power. It refers to God's strength and power. When we say that God is El, we're saying that God is the God of strength and power. Turn to Exodus chapter 15. By the way, we're not we're not have time to look at every verse that's on the sheet, and so this will help you in your own personal Bible time. You can look these up on your own time. Exodus 15 is right after the Exodus. If you remember the story, God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry land. And then when the the Egyptians pursued them, God allowed the Red Sea to fall over on top of them and to decimate Pharaoh's army. So God delivered Israel, gave them a great, great victory. And look what it says in Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, so that's talking about the covenant name of God. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is a praise song that Moses is singing. Then he says, this is my God. The word God, there's L. This is my L. I will praise him, my Father's L, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So when he calls the Lord God, he uses the word L, which speaks of God's strength. The name uh, for God, El, is found over 200 times in the Hebrew Bible. So if you're reading this in your Hebrew and you knew what El looked like according to Hebrew nomenclature, you would see the word El in there 200 times. Uh, Most often translated just as God. Um, The term El has a number of possible meanings determined by which root you believe this word comes from. Scholars believe there's about four different roots that the word L comes from. There's some, some debate on that. But basically, if you take all those different roots and, and put them together, the, 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 the common theme is the idea of strength, power, supreme excellence, and greatness. All right? Strength, power, supreme excellence, and greatness. So when you see the word L, or you hear the word L speaking of God's strength and His power. Now, what are the implications of that? Now, that's what I want to spend a lot of time on during this study, not just identifying the names of God, but what are the implications for our lives? What are the implications for our worldview, for our belief system, for our lives? What are the implications of these names for us? Well, first of all, God is a strong God. The name El reminds us that God is a strong God. Look over in Psalm 28. Verse 8, Psalm 28. This is David speaking about God and his relationship with his people. He says, the Lord is their strength. He is a saving defense to his anointing. So he speaks of this strength there. So just a reminder, the word El reminds us God is a strong uh, God. I've been reading uh, the Psalms in my personal devotional time as one of my four Bible readings every day. And I've just been struck as of late how much the Bible talks about God's strength and how little I 
meditate on God's strength. Because if I really meditated on God's strength and God's power and God's might, maybe I wouldn't be so fearful and timid when it comes to different things I encounter in life. Maybe my faith would be greater and stronger if I remembered that God is a God of strength, right? Sometimes my faith is weak and my faith is, is small because I forget how big God is, right? And sometimes I get so focused on my circumstances and my own limitations that I lose sight of God's strength. And so El reminds us God is the God of strength and power. And here's the implication of that. We should exalt His strength and seek His strength. We should exalt His strength and seek His strength. Look what it says in 29.11. You're right there in 28. So Psalm 29.11 says, The Lord will give strength to His people. So He's strong, and if we seek Him, He'll give His strength to us. He'll help us be strong when we need to be strong. So just talk to me for a moment. When are some times in our lives that we need to be strong? Give me, just give me some. At death, we lose, a, we lose a loved one. Okay, what else? What's that? Illness? Health? Yes, what else? Disaster? Right, find yourself in the middle of disaster. Witnessing, sharing your faith with somebody, that, that's, that's a major intimidation factor, right? We're trying to share our faith and our voice starts quivering, our heart starts beating, you know? What else? Get loss of a job. There's a lot of that in our, our, our society right now. What else? I start one over here. Okay, dealing with problems with your children, raising a family. Yes. What else? Spiritual warfare, right? You remember? Can I just remind you that First uh, Peter five says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. He wants to he wants to destroy your life. Can I remind you of that? So we need some strength, right? Then we can just go on and on all the different areas in our lives that require strength. Well, guess where strength comes from? It comes from the one who is strength. L, the Lord is a strong God. So we should seek His strength uh, when we come to Him in our relationship with Him. But also, not should we just seek His strength, we should exalt His strength. Look over in Psalm 21. I, this verse just leapt off the page to me the other day. Psalm 21, verse 13. By the way, this verse, Psalm 21, 13, is going to be our key verse for our revival. You're going to hear it every night of the revival. We're going to talk about it, read it together. Joey's going to quote it. I'm going to quote it. This verse is going to be what our revival is focused on. Okay? So look what it says. Psalm 21, verse 13. By the way, that's a little advanced insider information. And so when you're here for the first night of the revival and we roll that out, you can say, I knew that. Elbow the person next to you say, I knew that because I went to church on Wednesday night. All right? Now, look what it says. Psalm 21, verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your what? In your strength. Now, look at this. I love this. We will sing and praise your power. And I thought, how many times do I praise God's power? I mean, I just sit there and think about how powerful and strong He is. I don't do that enough. I don't meditate enough on God's strength and power. But the psalmist says here, God, you're strong. We're going to sing about it. We're going to praise you for it. We're going to focus on your power. So the fact that God is El, that's his name. He's a strong God, should, should lead us to seek that strength when we need it. And we need it so desperately in every area of our life. It also should lead us to exalt his strength, to praise his strength in our worship. And so the first name that begins with L is just the word L, all right? The God of strength and 
power. Any questions before we go to the next one? The next one take a little bit of time. So any questions on this before we go to the next name of God? Anything we've said thus far? Introduction? Anything? Okay. The second name of God that begins with L is the name Elohim. You may have heard this name before. Elohim. Elohim is the most commonly used name of God in the Old Testament. It occurs over 2,500 times. <laughs> 2,500 times. And it speaks of God being the eternal creator God. The eternal creator God. So wait, how do you know that? Well, it's the first name of God given in the Bible. The first verse in the first book of the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1. You probably heard this verse before, right? You may have committed it to memory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you see the English word God, G-O-D? That's the Hebrew word Elohim. The first name of God given to us in the Bible, used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. So this is a very uh, prominent name of God. Now, let me tell you some interesting things about this, this, this title, uh, Elohim. It's plural. But here's what's interesting. It says there, in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, created, and that verb created is singular. What in the world's going on there? You just don't do that in, in, in language. You don't take a, a, a plural noun and match it up with a singular verb. That's just, that's just not how you do things. So why in the world, God inspired the Bible, why in the world do we have, in the beginning, Elohim, plural, created, singular? Right there, the first verse of the Bible. What, is God, just, he just, does he not know the rules of grammar? Is that the problem? No. In the first verse of the Bible, God is telling us something very important about himself. We are seeing here, not fully fledged out or, or fleshed out, because you've got to read the entire Bible to put it all together, but we're seeing here the beginnings of the doctrine of the Trinity. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So one... God, we're monotheists, in essence and nature, three persons, three who all possess that essence of godness, if that makes sense. That's, that's the doctrine of the Trinity. And right here we see this, this plural Elohim matched up with the singular created, lets us know that there's one God doing something, but there are three persons who all possess that godness that's doing the something. That makes sense? So we see here the very foundational... Uh, aspects of the trinity say wait i don't really believe that you're reading too much into that well skip down with me chapter 1 verse 26 then god said let us let us make men man in our image according to our likeness now the bible says that we are created in the image of god one god and yet here, God speaking says, 
our image. You know why? Because there are three who all possess the essence of godness. Doctrine of the Trinity, right there. Our, let us, create man in our image. So in the first chapter of the Bible, we start seeing the, the foundational concepts of the triune God. Isn't that breathtaking? Isn't that, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's awesome how we see that right in the first chapter of the Bible. And you say, wait, I can't really wrap my, wrap my mind around that. Well, as we begin to read through the Bible and look at God's unveiled revelation to man, we see all the different components. We can put it all together and formulate the doctrine of the Trinity. And so uh, we see that here with this plural uh, title of God, name of God, Elohim. Now, some scholars also believe that the plural, or believe that the plural Elohim speaks uh, in an intensifying sense. It, 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 it speaks of the fullness of God's majesty. That, that not only is God holy, but He's holy, holy, holy. Not only is He good, He's good, good, good. Not only is He, not only is he great, gracious, He's gracious, gracious, gracious. I mean, just, it's, just, it's meant to intensify the majesty and the greatness and the splendor of God. And probably both are in view because both of those ideas are connected. The triune God and the fullness of who God is. And so Elohim speaks here of, of, of God creating the heavens and the earth. Now, we know from this that he's eternal because it says in the beginning, before there was anything, who was there? God was there. So he, he predates the created order. And because he created everything... Nothing created him, which means he's always been there. Right? He's eternal. He's always been there. He always will be there. He's eternal. So wait, I don't understand that. Well, you don't have to understand it to just believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that he is from everlasting. All right? He is eternal. Eternal God. And he creates here. God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Now, what are we to take from this? This title of Elohim. All right? First of all, we learn that creation is God's infinite power on display. God created, Elohim created, to display His great power. Turn over to Isaiah 40. By the way, Isaiah 40, 41, 42, right in that area of Isaiah, is a great commentary on the creation. Isaiah 40 what it says in verse 26. Back up to verse 25. I like verse 25. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Who can you compare to God? The answer is no one, of course. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. I read a couple years ago that, that uh, scientists had just discovered another 600 sextillion stars. And I thought, wow, I don't even know what sextillion means, but that's pretty impressive. So I went to Google, right, trusty Google, and I typed in, what is sextillion? And a sex, one sextillion is one billion times one trillion. I think that's right, one billion times one trillion. So if you take a billion times a trillion, that's a sextillion. And scientists had discovered 600 sextillion new stars in the galaxy, in the universe. How amazing is that? And the Bible says that God knows them all by name. That impresses me. Does that impress you? I mean, that's incredible. That's Elohim. 
the eternal God that created all of that. That's what it's saying here. He created everything to display his greatness, his majesty. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And so this, this title, Elohim, reminds us that God is a creator God that puts his infinite power on display. Secondly, God is the source of life. So we know that our lives are sacred and have a purpose, Isaiah 42.5. Look at Isaiah 42.5. Thus says to God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So not only did God create the, the, the universe and the, the galaxies and the solar systems, God created the humans walking on planet earth. He gives them breath. He gives them spirit. He's created us in his image, Genesis says. Elohim did that. God is the source of life, so we... We know that our lives are sacred, have a purpose. If God created us, he had a purpose in that creation. He has a plan for our life. Our lives have intrinsic worth and value because God made us in his image. Amen? Third, as the creator, God is in control of human history. Look in Isaiah 45, verse 11. Isaiah 45, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and, and His Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons. You shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. I have aroused him in righteousness. I will make, uh, make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free. Talking about his, his people Israel here. Without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. So God's saying, listen, I know what's coming. I know all about human history. I know how it's all going to play out because I made everything. And Elohim, as the creator, eternal God, is in control of human history. And so the title Elohim is a rich title. The first title given to us concerning God, the eternal creator God, used most often of God in the Old Testament. Okay, any questions on that before we go? Because we touched on some trinity there and some creation, and I use the word sextillion. So any any. Any questions? Any questions before we go on? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Karen. Yes. Yes. The word Elohim is plural. Yeah. Okay. All right, next word. El Elyon. El Elyon. This means God Most High. This is a good one. God Most High. Turn over to Genesis chapter 14. We'll see where this word is used. Abraham had gone to rescue his household that was taken captive in a war. And God gives him success. So Genesis 14. Abraham is returning with the spoils of war. Look what it says in Genesis 14, verse 17. But after his return from the defeat of Shedolaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out, this is talking about Abraham, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, 
that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. Everybody see that? So that word in the Hebrew that's translated God Most High is the word El Elyon. And then he says, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. There it is. Blessed be Abram of El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him a tenth of all. Uh, Abraham tithes on his spoils from war to this priest who represents El Elyon, God Most High. Now it's believed that the term Elyon is derived from the verb Allah, uh, meaning go up or be elevated or be exalted. So the term Elyon is used quite frequently as an adjective. It is translated as high, highest, upper, uppermost. Uh, this basic description given to God uh, when this name is employed is to one who is above all things as the maker, possessor, and ruler. He is incomparable in every way. He is subject to no one and no thing. He is the exalted one. So that's what's meant by this phrase, El Elyon, God most high. Now here's what that means. First of all, it means that God is not subject to anyone or anything. It says in verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, all right? The Lord El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. That will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. And so he's saying here, I, I, I make you a promise in the name of El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. He's above everything. He possesses heaven and earth itself. So there's nothing or no one higher to, than him. So God is not subject to anyone or anything. He's most high. So if he's most high, there can be no one higher. Because there's someone higher, he would not be most high anymore, right? He could be high, but not most high. But if he's most high, that means that there's no one that's any higher than most high. Because that's what the word most means, right? Secondly, he should occupy, if that's true, if God is El Elyon, if he is God most high, then he should occupy the place of preeminence in our lives. To think that he's the creator of everything, that there's none higher than him, there's no one or nothing subject to him, and yet we don't surrender our lives to his authority and lordship is ludicrous, is it not? That we don't recognize his authority over our lives, that we just kind of do our own thing and ignore what God wants, that is, that is just ridiculous. But that's how a lot of folks live their lives. I'm calling my own shots, I'm the... I'm the Captain of my soul, the master of my fate, as the famous poem Invictus says. I'm doing my own thing. No one's going to tell me what to do. And yet God Most High is there. And He is worthy of authority over our lives. And, and, and can I just tell you this? You can recognize His authority now, or you can recognize His authority later, but one day you will recognize His authority. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So one day, every knee will bow before the great, most high God. Amen? So you can do it now and experience the blessings of living under the lordship of, of, of El Elyon. Experience the blessings of being free because you know God in a personal way. Or you can do your own thing and bow later, but you will bow. You will recognize his authority according to the, the, the Bible. So El Elyon, he's God most high. Is he your most high? Is he most high in your life? Is he preeminent in your life? Is he number one in your life? Is there anything more high on your list than God? 
or is he most high? El Elyon. There's another name of God that begins with the word El. And it's El Shaddai. El Shaddai. You may have heard this one. Uh, Amy Grant uh, sang a song years ago called El Shaddai. Wasn't that the name of it? El Shaddai? Yeah. El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. It means He has all might. Uh, look, it is, this is similar to God Most High, but turn to Psalm 91. Beautiful psalm here. This is uh, evidently Ray Lewis's favorite psalm because after his football games, he takes off his pads. You know, the linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? And he has a teacher that says Psalm 91. So take that for what it's worth. Psalm 91, look what it says in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, there's that same phrase we've been studying, will abide in the shadow of who? The Almighty, El Shaddai. God is God Almighty. When we see the phrase El Shaddai, it, it combines the ideas of God as all-powerful, all-sufficient, transcendent, sovereign, ruler over all. Very similar to El Elyon. This means, first of all, that God has all power at His disposal. God has all power at His disposal. Turn to Genesis 17 with me. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham to Abram and said to him, I am, what? What's it say there? God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. So he, he uses the, if you read that in Hebrew, it would say, I am El Shaddai. All right? I am El Shaddai. He's saying there, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me. Listen to me. Obey me because there's no one that has more might than I do. I have all might. I'm all-powerful. I'm omnipotent. Listen to me. So God has all power at his disposal. Secondly, God can accomplish everything he desires and decrees. Because he's all-powerful, he can do what he wants to do. Which is good because he's holy and everything he wants to do is the right thing to do. So when God wants to do something, it's always right. And God has the power to do what's right every time he wants to do it. Isn't that good? Look in Genesis 28.3 with me. This is Isaac uh, blessing Jacob before he sends him away to try to find a wife. He gets involved the whole deal with Rachel and Leah and his uncle Laban. But look in Genesis 28, look in verse 1. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. From there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May, here it is. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. So he's saying, may El Shaddai, Almighty God, make you what he wants to make you. Give you a wife, give you a family, multiply you that you may become a father of many peoples. Because uh, uh, Jacob understands, or Isaac understands, 
that the, the promise that God made to Abraham is at stake here. You said you're going to create through Abraham a great nation. And you gave Abraham me, I'm Isaac, and yet my family's not that large yet. I have two sons. I have uh, Jacob and Esau. And so, God, if you want to keep your promise and make Abraham's descendants a great nation, you've got to do something through my son Jacob. He understands that. So he calls God El Shaddai, God Almighty. You can do it. What you want to do, you can do because you are almighty. You have all might, all power, all strength. And so it's very encouraging for me to understand that God can accomplish everything he desires and decrees. You see, if God was good but not all-powerful, then he might want to do something that was good for your life, but he, didn't, he wouldn't have the power to carry it out, right? And by the way, there's some theologians out there, liberal theologians, that believe God doesn't have all power. And that's just a, a heresy. He's El Shaddai, right? They need to study the names of God. They need to be here tonight. El Shaddai, Almighty, all right? But if God were all-powerful but didn't have that nature of goodness and grace and mercy, he would just be this cruel, um, capricious deity. But isn't it, isn't it comforting to know that God is, he's, he's good. And he's powerful, all powerful, so he can carry out his good and perfect will. Isn't that good? He's both. He's love and he is power. We need to understand that. El Shaddai, God Almighty. We need to learn to dwell under the wings of the Almighty God and recognize that power. And then let's look at this last one. El Roi, which means the all-seeing God. The all-seeing God. Another interesting story, Genesis 16. And by the way, it's pretty fascinating to see how early in the Bible God reveals so many of his names. Pretty interesting. That's just a quick aside. Look in Genesis 16. Just a quick bit of context here before we read in Verse 13, Sarah was unable to have children, and she grew impatient waiting on God's promise, and so she gave to Abram uh, her servant named Hagar, and uh, Hagar became pregnant with a child from Abraham, and she had her son named Ishmael, and Sarah grew very jealous of Hagar and Ishmael, wanted them kicked out of the house, and so Abraham kicks him out of the house, uh, and they go into the desert, and uh, there, there comes a point out in the desert where uh, she has no water, she has no food, and she just sits him down by a tree, and she walks over away from where she can't see him die. That's how dire the situation they were in. So look what it says in, uh, look in verse... Uh, Verse 13. Genesis 16, verse 13. He came to her and said, listen, I know what's going on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to preserve your son. Verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. It's that word, el Roi. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Be'er Laharoi. Uh, Roi, behold, it is between Kedesh and Read. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And so 
Uh, Hagar thought she was going to die in the wilderness. She thought that Ishmael was going to die in the wilderness. But God comes and rescues them from, from, from perishing in the desert. And when he does this, Hagar says, you know, God, you see. We're out here in the middle of the desert. And you saw our plight. You saw what we were going through. And you came to our rescue. God is the all-seeing God. Now, here's what that means for all of us. First of all, it means that God sees us in our pain. God sees us in our pain. He saw Hagar, and he saw Ishmael about to perish. He knew what was going on. He was not some distant, impersonal God. You know, some people have this concept of a God that, that he kind of wound up the universe, and he's letting it kind of wind down, and he's kind of sitting back with his arms crossed, just kind of watching in, to, to see how things play out. That is not a biblical concept of God. God is El Roi. He, he sees what's happening. Uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 2. In verse 23, this tells us the early story of the nation of Israel under Egyptian bondage and slavery and how Pharaoh was, was mistreating them. It says in verse 23, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and they cried out for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 25, God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now look in chapter 3, verse 7. This is when the Lord speaks to Moses at the burning bush. The Lord said, I have surely, here it is, seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. See that? God is a God who sees. He sees us in our pain. Psalm, I think it's Psalm 56 says, that, that God puts our tears in a bottle. I mean, he absolutely knows what's going on in our lives. You ever had a moment in your life where it's just so painful, so hard, so devastating, so uncertain, you think, does anybody even really care about what's going on in my life? And El Roi assures us that someone cares. And not only does someone care, he sees what's happening, right? God sees us in our pain. Secondly, God sees us in our obedience. God sees us in our obedience. Turn to Psalm 33. Neat verse here, Psalm 33, Psalm chapter 33, verse 18. I really like this verse. Mark it in your Bible. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope for his loving kindness. You ever felt unappreciated serving God? Or unappreciated doing the right thing? No one sees what I'm doing. No one knows what I've been doing for the Lord. No one's patting me on the back. No one's you know, recognizing my efforts, my labor. Can I tell you, someone who always sees what you do when you live in, in the fear of him? God always sees what you're doing. You know, the Bible gives us this, this beautiful picture that that when it's all said and done, God is going to reward those who are faithful to Him. This picture of, of biblical rewards, right? We could go look at a bunch of passages and talk about biblical rewards. How does God know what to reward you? He knows what to give you in reward because He sees what you're doing, right? I like to say it like this. Nothing we do for the Lord ever goes unnoticed. Do you know what that does? It frees us from the performance trap, doesn't it? 
It frees us from this, this trap of saying, okay, I've got to do my good deeds in front of other people so I get recon- recognized and appreciated. Listen, the one who matters most sees what you're doing. If no one else does, no one else is patting you on the back, no one else is congratulating you, no one is, is saying, hey, great job. Listen, God sees those who fear him. And one day he will reward everything that's done in his name for his glory. And so, el Roi, God sees our obedience. And then third, this idea of the all-seeing God means that no one gets away with anything. <laughs> Turn to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. So God sees everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Same idea, Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so this idea of El Roi, the Lord who sees, the, the God, El Roi, the God who sees, reminds us that God sees us in our pain, he sees us in our obedience, and he sees all the evil that is done. No one gets away with anything. One day, everyone will answer to God. And that's the idea of the all seeing God. One day, perfect justice will be carried out. Doesn't, doesn't it infuriate you when someone gets away with something? I mean, they, they get away with something and you think, well, they're going to go scot-free. No. Nope. No. Nope. Not true. Not true. God sees everything. And one day, God will hold all to account. No one gets away with anything. I remember I was in Sunday school my church growing up, and I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight. And I, for some reason, I clearly remember this. I remember my teacher teaching me about the fact that God saw everything that I did. And that just, it, to be honest with you, kind of weirded me out. I walked out of the room just kind of looking around like, but you know what? That's a great lesson for us to be aware of. God sees everything that we do. We can't hide anything from Him. Everything's open and laid bare before His eyes. He's El Roi. He's the God who sees so let's live for his glory, right? So that what he sees is what's good. He sees people fearing him and loving him and living for him, not doing shameful deeds of darkness. Because he sees it all. El Roi. And so these are just some foundational names of God. The names of God that begin with El. Again, there are a few more that begin with El. Uh, there's one that's used, I think it's El Eloa. Uh, that is used uh, in, in poetic books, predominantly in the book of Job, um, to speak of God. And uh, there's another one, and I can't think of it right now. But there's, there's several that begin with L. But these are the main ones that begin with the, the Hebrew letters L. Okay? E-L.